following message from Pastor Kit Johnson comes to you from Life Point Baptist Church in Apple Valley, California, where we pray that God's Word is a real blessing to you. Romans chapter 15, we're in verses 1 through 6 today, and uh, so I'd like to begin by reading the text. It says there, Romans 15, verse 1, Now we who are strong ought to bear the weaknesses of those without strength, and not just please ourselves. Each of us is to please his neighbor for his good to his edification. For even Christ did not please himself. But as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction, so that through perseverance, and the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. Now may the God who gives perseverance and encouragement grant you to be of the same mind with one another according to Christ Jesus, so that with one accord you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, this is uh, week five in our study of, of, of Christian liberty from Romans chapters 14 and 15. So next week, Lord willing, we'll finish it up uh, by going through verse 13. And, and so two months ago, uh, I had read this section of Scripture a number of times, but, but I had never done a, a detailed study of this passage like I have uh, the last five or six weeks. And uh, I've learned a lot, uh, but probably one of my biggest takeaways is that I think that we almost always approach this section of Scripture asking the wrong questions. So so we really want to know about our liberties. We want to know, can I watch this? Can I go here? Can I do this? Can I skip this thing over here? And then we really want to know the specifics of how it is that we work through conflict. So when do I defer? When do I press through? When do I speak up? When do I zip my lips? So so we would love it if Paul would have written five steps to a clear conscience or four steps to conflict resolution. But Paul gives very little attention to those kinds of things because he understood that your heart is the real issue. And so, you know, it doesn't boundaries and steps and, and guidelines, all those things, they're really not that helpful if you are filled with selfishness and immaturity. So you must change what you love. Because if you get your heart right, and you care about the things that God cares about, most of that other stuff just takes care of itself. And today's passage is going to continue that focus. And Paul is going to urge you in these verses to turn your eyes from your selfish interests and your little irritations towards something infinitely greater. And in particular, God is glorifying himself by building his church. The climax of this text is verse 6. And what is God doing? What is his goal? It is that with one accord, you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's awesome. Now, sure, sometimes life in the church can feel very mundane. 
Sometimes the people around you frustrate you. But, but just consider the fact, folks, that in the church, God is forming little images of himself. And he is binding them together, Ephesians 2 says, into a glorious temple. So, so what God is doing among us is an amazing thing. And you have the opportunity to participate in his glorious purpose with just a little bit of love, a little bit of humility, and a little bit of deference. So fall in love with what God's doing. Because then, life in the church and life with every other disagreement you have with believers will seem like a much smaller thing and it will be far easier to manage. And so today's passage is going to specifically challenge you to serve your brother selflessly for the glory of God. Serve your brother selflessly for God's glory. So, so it does so with three challenges. And so the first challenge we want to see from this passage is that you need to please your neighbor, not yourself. Now, I want to emphasize again that everything in this passage is moving towards verse 6. And that beautiful image of the church singing in unison for God's glory. That's a romantic image. We, we just sang to the Lord, and it's a romantic image to, to think about that unity and, and to think ultimately about that unity climaxing around the throne of the Lamb someday in glory. When people from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation are singing in unison to the Lord. But while that's a, a, a romantic picture, the truth is, is that life at life point, or in your home, surrounded by sinners, doesn't always feel very romantic. We have disagreements. Sometimes, we irritate each other. It's disappointing. and Sometimes it's even disheartening when people are spiritually lazy and stale. You think, what's going on in your heart? So, so how do we get from where we are to where God wants us to be? Well, Paul says that it is essential that you truly love your neighbor. And the strong here have an especially great responsibility. Paul is going to argue that strength brings responsibility. So he says in verse 1, now we who are strong ought to bear the weaknesses of those without strength and not just please ourselves. Now remember that, that Paul is responding to a conflict in the, in the Roman church over the ongoing significance of the law of Moses, all right? So, so we've talked, uh, as we've gone through this about, you know, two guys, Johnny Jew and Joe Gentile. So they're representative of the two sides of the argument. And Johnny Jew, let, let's imagine this guy, you know, he is a Jew. And so he spent, let's say, 30 years of his life obeying the law of Moses, thinking that he was bound to do everything that the law said in order to have a right relationship with God. And so he gets saved. But, but just because he gets saved does not mean that his conscience is no longer bound to the law of Moses. And so he feels in his conscience the need to obey uh, Jewish holy days, to observe holy days, and, and to obey various purity laws, especially those related to food. But Joe Gentile, on the other hand, he didn't grow up under the law of Moses. He never did any of that stuff. And so when he sees Johnny Jew over there worried about kosher foods, he thinks that's crazy. The Bible says Christ freed us from the law. Why are you doing that stuff? 
and I'm not doing any of that. So how do these guys get along? Well, verse 1 is addressed to Joe Gentile. And by the way, notice that Paul includes himself here. He says, we who are strong. So he's talking there about the one with the strong conscience. Now, now I want to be clear. He doesn't mean then that Joe Gentile is big and burly and physically strong compared to Johnny Jew. And he doesn't even mean that, that Joe Gentile is necessarily more spiritually mature or more godly. No, rather, the contrast between strong and weak is a contrast over the strength of your conscience, over your faith that, that, the God, that Christ on the cross has freed us from the law of Moses. And so, Joe jo Gentile is strong in the sense that he knows that he is free from the law, that Christ has freed him from the law, and therefore he is confident that he is free to eat unkosher food. Like, for example, smoked pork. And he is free to eat that good pork to the glory and praise of God. Now, of course, he doesn't just eat that good pork for the glory of God. He also eats it to please himself. He likes it. You know, barbecue is one of God's best creations, right? So, so he loves it. And so he likes to please himself by eating this stuff. But Paul wants Joe Gentile to ultimately love Johnny Jew more than he does his pork sandwich. And so he contrasts here in verses 1 and 2, pleasing ourselves with pleasing our neighbor. And he wants him to understand that, that Johnny Jew is worth far more than a sandwich. So, so he's got to use his strength not to please himself, but instead to care for and love his neighbor. The principle is, is that great strength is not something you use to serve yourself. God gives you strength to serve other people. That's a principle that's everywhere in Scripture. So, for example, you know, God did not put, give men physical strength or, or give them authority in the home so that we can indulge our lusts and just get our way. No, God gave us those strengths so that we could serve our families. If God's given you talents, God doesn't give you talents so, so that you can just get rich and do whatever you want. No, God gives us gifts so that we can serve the body. And, and if God gave you a strong conscience, God, He didn't give it to you fundamentally so that you can have a good time and do what you want. No, God says you are to use it to bear the weaknesses of those without strength. So you might think, well, okay, I've got a strong conscience. I guess I've got to put up with Johnny Jew. Oh, well. But, but that's not what Paul means. He says here again that you ought, and, and don't miss the significance of that word ought, that, that the idea behind the Greek word is that you have a responsibility. You have an obligation before God to bear the weaknesses of those without strength. Now, notice how Paul uses the same verb for bear in Galatians 6, verse 2. He says, bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. So, so the image then is, is that Johnny Jew's weak conscience is sort of like carrying a 100-pound backpack. And the image is, is, that, is that it is very demanding. It is heavy for Johnny Jew to carry the weight of 
of his weak conscience. And the same is true for your brother who is striving to please God, but for whatever reason, his conscience is bound by things that you don't think are necessary. It's a heavy weight. It's a burden for him. And so Paul says, hey, your, your focus is not supposed to be on educating his conscience, getting him to shape up. And, and, and as well, it's not just enough to tolerate him, to, to put up with him. You certainly aren't there to alienate him. Instead, God says that you are to get under that backpack with him and you are to help carry the load of his weak conscience. So for example, when he gets in your car, turn on the music that he enjoys and get excited about it with him. At Christmas time, buy your girlfriend a dress that she will enjoy and get excited for her. The idea here is very simply That if God has given you a strong conscience, you use it to serve your brother, not to serve yourself. And why is that? Well, it's because your responsibility is his edification. Again, verse 2 says that you are to please your neighbor for his good, to his edification. So again, notice that contrast between verses 1 and 2. There's a contrast between pleasing yourself and pleasing your neighbor. So that's basic sacrificial love, right? But, but it's where we struggle. As much as we know that, it's where we struggle. It's, it's why you sometimes struggle in your marriage. It's why you struggle with your siblings, your co-workers, and with other Christians in the church. It's because we are hardwired to love ourselves. And so we need grace to help us love each other as Christ has loved us. So so by the grace of God, the simple challenge is, is how will you conduct yourself? Are you going to please yourself or are you going to please your neighbor? Are you going to chase your childish preferences? Are you going to dig in your heels and fold your arms and say, I'm not moving. I'm going to fight for what I believe in. Or will you love people sacrificially? And be very careful. In your marriage, in your home, your church, in every context, that you do not allow the pride of life and the lusts of your own soul blind you to what truly matters. And why is that? It's because when you bear the weakness of your brother, you you don't just please him. No, Paul says here that you promote his good to his edification. So folks, I mean, it might seem like a really small thing to defer to someone's conscience, but God says this is a great opportunity because the very best good that you can know or that anyone can know is is a right relationship with God, to be near to Him and to enjoy His grace. So the best gift you can give to your brother in Christ is to help him grow to love the Lord and to walk in obedience to him. But chapter 14, verse 23 says that that's your weak brother, that, that he cannot walk with the Lord and, and be right with the Lord if in his heart he believes that he is rebelling by, against God in what he does. So very practically here, and Joe Gentile, he has to love Johnny Jew more than he does his smoked pork. 
And he has to work hard to encourage his brother to obey his conscience. And, and, so, and so that's his best good. That's the way that he can love him. So I hope, Christian, that you love people and that you love the work of discipleship. You know, think about the fact that, that when you teach a Sunday school class or, or you help a kid learn his memory verse on Wednesday nights or you minister to a teenager or, or, or an older believer, that you, when you teach someone the Scriptures, when you support a brother or a sister in, in their battles to, to strive for holiness, or when you come alongside his sin struggle and help him fight through, you are doing the most important work in all the world. Most important work. You are helping someone become like Jesus. And it matters. And it matters so much more than, than a video game, a movie, or a pork sandwich. Now, I know all those things, they tug at your hearts. Because they tug at mine too. And there certainly is a time and a place to, to enjoy your liberty to the glory of God. Chapter 14, verse 22 says that. But don't let a pork sandwich or any selfish pleasure get in the way of the ministry that God has given you. The people matter so much more. So love people. And then be disciplined. Slow down and, and don't just follow your taste buds. Do what is right before God. Think about what matters. And then use the strength that God has given you to serve people, not yourself. Do the most important work in all the world, the work of discipleship. It's so easy. I mean, we live in a day, we, we've got so many church options out there that, that what so often happens is, you know, we get a little irritated about this thing over here, we just jump over to this other church that fits what I like better. Or, or, we, or, or we move from this relationship to that relationship to this one over here, all based on where I feel comfortable and what, is, what makes me feel good. But God says that you need to value people over all those things. So, so please your neighbor, not yourself. And then the second major challenge in the text is to follow Christ's example. So, so look at what Paul says in verse 3. He says, for even Christ did not please himself. But as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. Now, you, you can almost hear the excuses from the strong after verse 1. Because you've used them before. So, you know, Johnny Jew, he's being ridiculous. He's being so silly. And, and I have a right to enjoy my barbecue. I'm right. I work hard. I deserve to have my sandwich. But Paul here drops the ultimate trump card. He says, even Christ did not please himself. Now remember that the word Christ is the Greek equivalent for the word Messiah. So it's not a name, it's a title. It, it speaks to who Jesus is. So it's as if Paul is saying, you think you deserve to grasp for your rights. But you know what? Even the Messiah did not grasp for his rights. And Paul uh, describes that so beautifully in Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8. A wonderful parallel with our text. He says, Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, 
did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So when you want to grasp tightly to your right for a certain movie, or a certain style of music or dress. Remember that Jesus did not grasp for the glories of heaven. He let him go. And he came to earth. And he, and he did so for you. you know, when, when you begin to throw yourself a pity party. Look at everything that God demands. Look at how hard it is to live with brothers and sisters in Christ. Just remember what Christ gave up for you. He left infinite glory. He sacrificed all the rights of heaven to come to earth and to die on a cross for your sins. It's amazing. And so, and so how could I, a lowly sinner, possibly grasp for my petty rights? And how tragic. When we grasp and we say, mine, like a small child, instead of loving people like Jesus loves. And then Paul gets specific about one way that Christ became a servant. And he quotes Psalm 69, verse 9, which says, The reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. Now, now the context here of this is, is in Psalm 69, David is lamenting how he is being reviled for God's sake, how people are hurting him because of his faithfulness to God. And so he says in the previous two verses, in um, verses 7 and 8, for your sake, I have borne reproach. Dishonor has covered my face. I have become estranged from my brothers and an alien to my mother's son. So David is having a hard time. He's alienated because of his faithfulness to God. He's struggling under the weight of doing God's will. And it's fascinating is that the gospel writers oftentimes compare David's lament to Jesus' suffering on the cross. And specifically, Jesus endured hostility on the cross that was not ultimately towards him. It was actually anger against the Father that Jesus took on himself. The Jews there in Jerusalem when Jesus died, they were not ultimately angry at Jesus. They were angry at the purpose of God. That God had not given them a political deliverer, but a humble Savior. They wanted a king, not a Lamb of God. That's not what they wanted. And so they hated God's purpose for Jesus. And Jesus, though, bore the brunt of the Father's will. And can you imagine being in Jesus' shoes during the Passion Week? You know, imagine listening as people demand that you die. Imagine having people revel in your suffering. Imagine hanging on the cross and watching as people cheer for your execution. It's horrible. But, but he did it to rescue a sinner like you. Now, now, you might not have been there that day and mocking Jesus as he hung on the cross. But God says that every one of us are born hostile to God. And yet, Messiah, the eternal Son of God, came to serve you. And he endured our hostility, the hostility of sinners, 
so that you could be rescued from the wrath of God. And Jesus loved you. And he came to earth to die for your sins so that you could be saved. It's incredible. Of course, I want to emphasize that you actually have to receive that gift of salvation. Because none of us are born into this world saved from our sins. No, we need to receive the benefits of what Jesus did on that cross. And so if you've never received Christ as your Savior, then today you need to admit that you are a sinner. Now, sure, you might not have been there. You didn't call for the execution of Jesus, but you have sinned against God's will. And there's nothing that you can do to solve your sin problem. And then you need to confess that Jesus is the Lord and that he is the Savior who provided for your salvation on the cross. And then you need to ask God to save you. If you've never done that, then I would urge you to do that right now in your seat. Just call out to God. Confess that you're a sinner. Confess that Jesus is Lord and Savior. Ask Him to save you. And God says in His Word that He will. If you have questions, we'd love to talk with you and help you know that your sins are forgiven. And once you are saved, never forget the sacrifice Christ made. Like when you begin to think, I'm done pleasing my neighbor. I've given enough to Joe over here. I deserve to be happy. Remember that even the Messiah did not grasp for glory. He let it go for you. And Jesus never asks more of you than he has already given. I mean, when he gave so much, so much, I mean, how could you refuse to serve his child over a pork sandwich? a piece of music, or any other silly inconvenience. Serve your brother selflessly. And then notice that verse 4 drives home the significance of Christ's example. It says, For whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction, so that through perseverance and the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. Now this verse, verse 4, is something of a parenthesis, you could say, in Paul's bigger argument of the text. But, but it makes a couple of really important points that I want to emphasize. The first is, 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 although we are no longer under the law, Paul wants to be very clear that that does not mean that the Old Testament is obsolete. It is still inspired scripture, and Paul is saying to us here that, that the Old Testament is full of invaluable instruction. So, so look at the examples of Scripture. Look at the stories of the Old Testament. Look at the teaching about who God is. And you can learn so much about how to glorify the Lord, how to serve Him, and who God is. And on and on it goes. And then second, and probably more important, is that yes, the Christian life is hard. And Christ calls you to make tremendous sacrifices. But when it gets hard, God says you can go to the Scriptures and you can find encouragement to persevere. You can find hope. Now, folks, that's really, really important because, because whenever we are suffering, whenever we don't like our circumstances, our tendency is to think that I am the only one who has ever been where I'm at. Nobody knows the trouble I've seen. My life is so hard. No one understands just how bad I have it. But, but God says to us here in his word, you know what? You're not the first one. David suffered. Jesus suffered. 
And lots of other people have suffered as well. But God's grace sustained them. God kept them through their pain and through their sacrifice. And the grace of God will sustain you as well. So so I know that life with believers and, and just life in general can be overwhelming and sometimes disheartening. Like you think, will these people ever grow up? Will they ever change? There's no way we're ever going to resolve this conflict. But the Bible gives hope that that just as God has worked in the past, just as His grace has been sufficient before, it will be again. And so in light of that, don't despair over your sacrifices. Don't quit under the load of serving people. Don't stop fighting for unity and reconciliation. No. No. Remember the example of Jesus. Believe in the power of His grace. And in the strength of His grace, persevere. Keep serving. Keep sacrificing. Keep pursuing people. Keep building disciples. Because God is faithful. And so, the challenge there is to follow Christ's example. And then, the third challenge of the text is to pursue God-glorifying unity. Now, once again, everything in this passage is moving towards verses 5 and 6. And so, and so again, verse five, uh, verses 5 and 6 say that, that all of this, here he prays, Now may the God who gives perseverance and encouragement grant to you to be of the same mind with one another according to Christ Jesus, so that with one accord you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, folks, it is true that people matter. And and you know what? Life in the church is better for you and better for everyone else if we enjoy peace. But let's never forget that, that I am not the ultimate end. And you are not the ultimate end. No, God's glory is the end of everything that we do in the church. It is all for Him. So Paul ends our text with a prayer that God would glorify himself in the unity of the church. And so I'd like to emphasize three challenges from these two verses. First of all, God challenges us here to rely on the Lord. Now, as I've said many times, dealing with differences in the church can be really hard. You have strong convictions, and you enjoy the blessings of God. You have a strong conscience. And so it's hard to love sacrificially. It's hard to give of yourself to others. On their hand, it's really hard not to judge people when they have take more liberties than you think are appropriate. It's hard to trust the Lord in people's lives and to trust each other. So I want to be clear that, that, that Romans 14 and 15 are not merely good advice for peaceful relationships. No, The transforming grace of Romans 6 through 8 is essential to you living out what God is saying. You have to walk in the grace of God. We all have to walk in the grace of God if we are going to live out what he is saying here. So so it is fitting in light of our dependence on the grace of God and and the impotence we have to live out these, these chapters that he ends this section here with a prayer for God to give grace-empowered unity. And thankfully, 
when we pray, we're not just like throwing up prayers in the air and hoping they land on something. No, when we pray, we pray to the God who, as verse 5 says, gives perseverance and encouragement. God is able. So maybe you're discouraged about your relationship to a brother or sister in Christ. And maybe you've tried and tried to build a strong bond, but, but man, it just remains a grind. Maybe you're not sure if it's worth it. Or if you'll ever get anywhere. Well, remember that God gives perseverance and encouragement. He's faithful. So pray to Him. Ask Him to work. Ask Him first and foremost to change your heart, not His. And to fill you with love, fill you with power, fill you with wisdom to do God's will. And then wait on God to work. You know, I, I, mean, I wonder how many of us come into church today with a burden on your soul. It's weighed on you for days. And you have not prayed about it one time. One time. You're thinking about it. You're stewing about it. You're trying to figure out how to solve it. And you haven't prayed. So we need to pray. We need to seek the Lord and rely on His strength. Because God is a God of perseverance and encouragement. So rely on the Lord. Secondly here, he says, to unite on the essentials. Now notice that Paul's request is that God would give the Romans the same mind with one another. That's really fascinating because he has been very clear since the beginning of chapter 14 that they did not all have the same opinions about food and and about holy days and those things. So so they were not uniform in their convictions. But, But that did not mean that they couldn't be united. You know, folks, unity does not require uniformity. So yes, Johnny Jew and Joe Gentile, they they come from different ethnicities. Their homes were probably very different from each other. And we've talked a lot about the fact that their dinner plates looked very different also. But God says that more important than any of those things is that they are one body in Christ. And Jesus brought them together. And so they share the same passion for his work and for his glory. So so even though Johnny Jew and Joe Gentile look very different, they live very different lives, it is still very possible that as Philippians 1.27 says, that they can strive side by side, arms linked together, for the bigger purpose, for the faith of the gospel, the advance of the Great Commission. And you can do that too with the people of our church. So sure, we we have our differences. We don't all look the same. And we don't all think the same. Sometimes we get on each other's nerves. Sometimes strong convictions and strong personalities are going to bang heads. But by the grace of God, we should all love the same gospel. And we should love that gospel more than we do those other things. And we should share the same passion for God's glory. So so we want God's word and God's truth to bind us together. So I'd encourage you to just think about that brother or sister with whom you struggle. 
And I want to want, and I ask you, do you look at that person through a temporal gaze based on worldly cares? Or do you see that brother or sister fundamentally as a lover of Christ who is passionate about the Lord and wants to serve Him? Now, if you can't do that, you're probably, almost certainly, the problem, not that other person. And you need to deal with your heart. And you might need to change your passion and care about that person more than you do your thing or, or your inconvenience. It might mean that you need to trust the Lord. That, 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 that the Spirit of God is working in His life just like He's working in your life and maybe He is directing a little differently in His life than you. Trust the Lord. And then unite on the essentials. And ultimately, follow the example of Christ. You need to love the Father's will. And you need to love your brother. And you need to let that love overwhelm any petty conflict that divides. So God says, unite on the essentials. And folks, that is so important. Because we, if we build the unity of the church on those lesser things, we build the unity of the church around you know, some shared preference for, for, for music or style of dress or you know, we like this thing over here, we have this hobby or that hobby or, or, or personalities or any of those things. All of those things can be gone in a moment. But the gospel will not. We need to unite around what matters. And, and so we can be different. We can look different. But we can unite on Christ. So unite around the essentials. And then the third challenge he gives in these verses is to give glory to God. Again, verse 6 says, the goal, the goal of all this, really going all the way back to chapter 14, verse 1, is so that with one accord, you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, folks, I want you to just think for a moment about where all of church history is headed. Ever since Pentecost, God is doing something in the church, and where is all of that headed? Well, Revelation chapter 5, verses 9 and 10, tell us John's vision of the glorified church. This is where we are headed. It says there, and they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the book and to break its seals, for you were slain and purchased for God with your blood men from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. And you have made them to be a kingdom and priests to our God, and they will reign on the earth. I mean, this, this is people from every part of the world singing in praise to the Lamb. Now, I can't wait to be in that choir. That's going to be great, right? And, and you can't either. That's going to be a wonderful day when we are around the throne of Jesus Christ singing praise to Him with all of the people of the church. So do you ever wonder, what is the closest thing to heaven on earth? What is the closest thing to heaven on earth? Well, I believe the answer is, is when a local church, a family of believers who have committed themselves to the Lord and to each other, when we sing and we serve the Lord in unison to God, and that's the most heavenly sound in all the world, that is the highest of experiences like heaven when we in unity sing to the Lord and serve Him together. 
So I want to urge you to fall in love with the glorious image of verse 6. That you are striving towards a day where we will surround the throne and sing to the Lord. And let it outshine every petty difference. And we've got, we've got, we've got bigger goals, bigger passions than, than selfish agendas, personal passions and private interests. And we are here for the glory of God. We're for Him. And so we want Apple Valley to see the glory of God through a mighty display of His grace in us. So stay razor-focused on the passion of God. We want to glorify Him. We want to enjoy Him together and forever. That's why we're here. So, So the challenge today is very simple but crucial. Serve your brother selflessly for God's glory. He's your brother. He's, she's your sister. So, so love them well. And when you struggle to believe that they actually deserve it from you, well, remember that regardless of how worthy that brother or sister is, Christ is worthy. It doesn't matter what problems or irritations or frustrations that person has. God deserves your service. But Jesus is the Lamb of God who was slain for you. So serve your brother selflessly for the glory of God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. And thank you for the challenge of the scriptures. And oh God, we need your grace. We we need your help to, to live out your word and to honor you. And so God, I pray that your grace would empower us to see clearly what matters, to love the return of Christ to love you, and to love the work that you have called us to do. And so, God, we pray for perseverance and encouragement and hope. God, we would press forward in doing your will and glorify the Son. And so, Lord, I pray for the unity of our church. Lord, I pray that you would protect us from petty strife and division personality conflicts, that God, we would walk in unison, striving to serve the Lord and serve your will. And God, we pray that you would be glorified above us. In Jesus' name.